Amen. And if you are striving today to get to where he is, let that song be a message to you today. You're incapable of it. Now, you can't go to him. That's why he came to you. That's the reason he came, the God of the universe, left heaven. He stepped off of his throne and he came into this world. He was born into this world as a baby. He lived as a man. He was attempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death so that we could be reconciled to him. What a glorious truth, amen? I'm so grateful today that he came, uh, that he came to us. Uh, thank you, Al, for, for sharing that message and song today. Take your Bibles, if you would, Col Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we've been there for a minute uh, talking about how to relate in these family relationships and and the importance of, of rightly relating to one another. And we started the whole deal talking about uh, it all begins, it's all built on a foundation of a meaningful relationship with God. Uh, so many of the, the issues that we face, so many of the things that, that cause issues in our, our families and in our relationships could be resolved, would be resolved if we had a meaningful relationship with God. And it begins, just as Al sang, with, with uh, having a, a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Paul starts chapter 3 of Colossians and says, If ye then be risen with Christ. You see, the only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. We can't earn it. We can't work our way there. We can't go to Him. He came to us. And so we, we were dead in trespasses and sin, but He, through Christ, makes us alive. And so if you then be risen with Christ, it starts with knowing God through Jesus Christ. Then he says, seek those things which are above. It's what we were talking about a moment ago. Lay hold on eternal life. Don't live for this world. Live for that world. Seek those things that are above. Set your affection there, not on the things of this world. Don't, don't live for this world. And then he encourages us. He, he helps us to understand the only way for us to do that is to die to ourselves. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. We've got to die to our, our flesh. We've got to die to our desires and what we want and, and, and turn that over to him. And he, he says, put off, take off that old man. Get that flesh off and put on the new man, which is renewed after the image of him that created him. Put on Christ and live like Christ in this world. And he says when we do that, we allow the peace of God to rule in our hearts. We allow the word of God to, to dwell in us richly. That's the, that's the way we live out that life. And then, and then he says, from there, these family relationships become pretty simple. Not necessarily easy, but simple. And he said it's enough once we have that meaningful relationship with God. These simple instructions. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. It's a simple instruction. It's not easy to do. In fact, I would argue that it's impossible to do. The only way to do it is through allowing Christ to do it through you. He can live through you and love your wife like he loves the church because... Well, that's how he loves the church. So he can certainly love Debbie like that if I'll just get out of the way and leave him alone. If I'll quit getting in the way, he'll love her like that through me. I, I've got, but I've got to mortify my members, right? I've got to die to myself and allow him to do that. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And so, very, again, very simple, not, not necessarily easy. And again, I would argue... Uh, impossible. Let God do that through you because Christ submitted to the lordship of God the Father, although he was equal with God. He counted it not robbery to be equal with God because he is. He submitted himself to God the Father. And the same thing is true in a marital relationship. We talked about children obeying their parents. I'm not going to say that's impossible. <laughs> You'll do a lot better job of that though, kids, when you, again, Surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Allow Him to have control. Submit to His authority. And last week we talked about fathers and, and the need for, more so for us to rightly relate to our dads or, or even maybe to the memory of our dad because of how it impacts us and God's kingdom and our children. Today I want us to, to focus in on, on what we said at the beginning of this, that God's simple instruction to parents is don't provoke your children. Don't provoke them. 
We saw it in Colossians 3, uh, where verse 21, fathers, he says specifically fathers, parents in general, but again, there's, there's something about that role of a father. And we mentioned it last week. When you get to share God's name, God's title, uh, that's, God highly elevates that role of a dad. And so he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. If you went to the parallel passage in Ephesians 4, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's a tremendous, it's a tremendous privilege to be a parent. It's a great joy to be a parent. Uh, to, to have children is, is, is an incredible joy, uh, but, but it also involves some challenges, right? Uh, with with the, every privilege comes an equal responsibility, and so it's a great responsibility to be entrusted with the never-dying soul uh, of these children, uh, and so God has entrusted them to us, and so it's a, an awesome privilege, but, but with that privilege comes some challenges, and so we're going to talk about some of those challenges today, a couple of those challenges that make the job of parenting so hard, and, and then we'll talk about a couple of those things that, that challenges that make it, or commands that make it so simple. Uh, again, not necessarily easy, uh, but simple. And so let, let's talk first about some challenges. There's some challenges that, that make parenting very difficult. Uh, and the first one that I would note would be that it's the world they face around them, right? Our, our children are coming up in a depraved culture. I didn't need to tell you that, uh, right? You're aware that the culture that they live in is depraved, but uh, maybe we wouldn't recognize that it's, that it's always been depraved since the Garden of Eden, since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, since sin entered in, uh, there's been a depraved culture for about 6,000 years We've been living in a depraved culture. It's kind of been in this downward spiral. Uh, and so that makes it difficult to, to parent because we're bringing up children in this culture that is depraved. Uh, and so we need to gain a, a biblical understanding what God says about the culture. Uh, we need to understand this world system and what God has to say about it. So uh, these scriptures are going to come on the screen just for convenience. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So Ephesians 2, 2, he he says that that when we were separated from Christ, when, when we weren't believers in Christ, we walked according to the course of the world. There's there's a course to this world. Uh, you know, like if you were to go out and play a golf course, it, it, it's a course. You go from one to two to three to four, you know, if you play golf well. If you play golf like me, you kind of go one, six, eight, you know, you're all over the place. But if you're following the course, you're, you're going along a, a specific course. Now, but notice there's some qualities about the course. He says it's, it's, it's powerful. It's, it's the course that's according to the prince of the power of the air. This is a this is a powerful course. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. The, the, the influences of the culture are powerful. We need to recognize that. God acknowledges that. It, it's not just powerful, but it's spiritual. Right? He says, the spirit that now worketh. It's a physical world, and, and there's a lot of physical things going on within the culture, but we should recognize that there's a spirit behind all of that. There's a spirit that's working. Many times we, we want to demonize the, the people. We should recognize and, and and understand that the enemy is the spirit that's behind it. There's a spiritual force that's working. He says that this, this powerful spiritual system is going to be characterized by disobedience, the, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And when you think about it, disobedient, disobedient to what? Disobedient to who? They're disobedient to God and to the Word of God. That's the nature of the culture, right? Right? And so there's this cultural system out there that's powerful, it's spiritual, and it's characterized by disobedience. Now sometimes we seem to be shocked by that. When things happen out there, 
When the culture goes contrary to the Word of God, we seem to struggle with that sometimes. But we shouldn't. We should recognize that that's the nature of the culture. That Satan is the God of this world. You can't legislate morality. I'm for godly Christian values. I will vote those convictions. But I also know that there's no hope for this world outside of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is the hope of the world. We're not not seeking to create a utopia here on this planet at this moment that that we, we couldn't create anyway. We're looking to rescue people from this planet through the gospel of Jesus Christ and looking forward to a day when a Savior will come and will cleanse this planet. We don't need to be messed up on what our goals are. The way to change the world is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way that will happen is, is through individual followers of Jesus Christ testifying to the grace of God to other individuals. That's the way it works. I think a lot of us are waiting on you know, the second coming of Billy Graham to have a stadium meeting. And it's not coming. In fact, we should recognize that, that that mass evangelism is over with. We're not fishing, we're not casting nets anymore. We're fly fishing. And that's, e- that's up to each one of us individually to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's critical. So it's a satanic operation. The culture is a satanic operation. And, and it's a specific system. He has a specific system. First uh, John 2.16 says, all that is in the world. It, it's, he, man, he's about to tell us something that is monumental. He's going he's to explain to us in a very simplistic way Everything that's in the world. And, and again, not, not the globe. We're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the world system. The, the, the word world in the Bible is used in a variety of different ways. And it's always determined how it's being used by its context. Context is king. And so you just need to understand. We, same with us when we're talking. It's important that I know the context in which something was said. In the context... He's talking about the world system. He says all that is in the world, everything that that ties up this world system, this specific system is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's everything that's in the world. That's the way the enemy works. He's going to work in our lives to to bring us to the place where where we want to do what we want to do. And we want to have what we want to have. And we want to be who we want to be. Could I say that a lot of times we slip into that as parents? I mean, how many of us have said to our kids, Honey, you can be anything you want to be. You can have anything you want to have. You can do anything you want to do. Just go to school. I'm not opposed to education. I'm not opposed to achievement. But I do think what a pause long enough to say, honey, find out what God wants you to do. Be content with what God wants you to have. And figure out who God wants you to be. Because when we subscribe to this system of Satan, we're setting our kids up not for success, but for failure. And I think sometimes we say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. My kids are, are super successful. That may be so. Let's just make sure that we're using the right measure of success. I think that's important. And, and Jesus said, you could do everything you ever wanted to do. You could have everything you ever wanted to have. 
You could be everything you ever wanted to be and still lose. He said, if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul, what profit? What profit is it? What good is it? Again, we ought to live like we're leaving. We ought ought to live for there and then, not here and now. Because eternity is a lot longer than our lives. If you just want a pragmatic reason, eternity is a lot longer than life. So so Satan, and listen, if you go back into the Garden of Eden, how did did he show up there with Eve? What what did he do with her? How How did he treat her? Oh, it was the lust of the flesh, it was the lust of the eyes, and it was the pride of life. Eve, look at this tree. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's good for food. It's desired to make one wise. You can have what you want to have. You can do what you want to do. You can be who you want to be. For 6,000 years, that's been his play. When he showed up with Jesus, and Jesus has been baptized, and he's led of the Spirit out into the wilderness, Satan shows up after 40 days of fasting, and what does he do? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Exact same three plays. Hear me today. That, that's how Jesus can say he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He faced all three of those temptations. And he didn't succumb to them, but he answered them with the word of God. That's the same way that you and I will not succumb to them. That's the same way our children will not succumb to them. By having the word of God dwelling in us richly as we saw previously. So that when that temptation comes, I can answer with the word of God. Where my thinking and my life is so saturated with God's word that I live according to it, not according to the, the course of this world, the specific system. You know, it seems a little nonsensical to think that, that Satan, how, he, he's only got three plays? I, I mean, if we were talking about college football and a, a team that only had three plays, you'd think it'd be pretty easy to defeat him. But yet for 6,000 years, Satan has used those same three plays against mankind very successfully. You and I need to understand that's how he's coming at us. It's a, it's a strategic course. Uh, we saw that a moment ago. According to the course of this world, Ephesians 2, if you went a little further down, uh, well, verse 2, uh, he says it's the course of this world. Verse 3, among whom we also had our conversation. And, and, and that's just a, it's a very simple word. It's an old English word. We don't use it a lot, but it just means manner of living. Uh, And my manner of living, conversation, my manner of living communicates something about my life. It communicates about my values. And so he says, among whom we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. And so, so here's Satan's objective, this course that he has for us. He wants us to experience this world system. He wants us to think like this world system. And he wants us to be held captive by it. That's his goal. That's what he wants to do. He wants me to to get to the place to where where I'm living in it. He wants my my kids to live in it and experience and and to think like it so that he can hold me captive in it. And listen to me today. The sad reality is The vast majority of people who call themselves Christian on this planet live right there. They're held captive. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.16 that there's a snare of the devil and, and he wants to take us captive at his will. The, the world system is it's powerful, it's spiritual. And it when we experience it, we, we have a tendency to begin to think like it. And when we think like it, we're held captive by it. So we end up not living for there and then, but living for here and now. We, we end up thinking that, yes, if I could just get that different house, then I'd be happy. If I could just have a newer car, if, if I could just have more money, if I could just enter into that relationship, if that person just accepted me more, then, man, I'd be living. 
It's all a lie. None of it's true. And it comes from the father of lies. Satan. The devil. Yes, I do still believe in him. And he is the God of this world. And he is the driving force in our culture. And the vast majority of what's being communicated to us is being communicated by him. And if we are not countering it with truth, then, then it shouldn't be any surprise to us that we're held captive. We are, we are prisoners of war. We've been AWOL from service to God for so long, we're now prisoners of war held captive by his will. We've been taken off of the battlefield, we've lost our influence, and we're losing the war. And the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I've left talking about our children and went to talking about us, and that wasn't my intention. Sorry. Thank you for that permission. Now, now I would say that, again, all of that's been true since the fall. Right? That's all been true since man sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. But, but Paul tells Timothy that in these last days, we're going to experience perilous times. Uh, he, he, he warns him in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Dangerous times shall come. I, I believe that we live in the last days. Uh, I believe that we live in the midst of those perilous times, and that's not necessarily because there's a a worldwide pandemic or, or there's racial unrest in our country and th- those things obviously are, are dangerous and perilous and, 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 and issues certainly and, and symptoms I think of the, the greater problem. Uh, I think the, the real issue with the last days, the reason that, that they're so perilous is because Satan has been able to accelerate how rapidly our children experience all of these things in this world system. What, you and I, maybe, I, I, I told you I got a, a year older this week, I'm 56 years old, I know you're, so, you're shocked by that, uh, but uh, at 56, what, what I experienced as a teenager, our, our elementary age children are experiencing today. The things that, that came into my view, the, the things, my, my daddy, we had three channels on television. If the antenna was adjusted between switching, the rotary knob that was on the front of the television, you didn't have a remote. And there were many programs I was forbidden to watch because of the worldly mindset they portrayed. Happy Days was one of those. Now, some of you have no idea even what I'm talking about. But I'll promise you, it was nothing to be compared to what's on broadcast television today. What's presented to our children. And and again, it's not just through broadcast television, but now it's presented even through, through multiple venues. coming at them from many different areas. The things, you, you can't even watch sporting events because of the commercials and what's presented. The things that are portrayed in front of our kids and, and, what's up, and the video games and all those things. Man, I could, I could go for a minute on some of this stuff. I already have. And then we wonder why our children are doing adult things. I wonder why our kids are getting so messed up sexually. I I wonder why we got little kids involved sexually. Well, maybe it's because of what we've exposed them to. Pornography is the number one industry on the internet. What, what somebody back in the day had to find somebody who would provide for them somewhere and not tell anybody in a print form now comes to your inbox in your email or, or across your social media feed and is readily available. Yeah. 
If you're a parent of a child today and don't have, forget, forget being a parent, if you don't have filters on, on the, the, the access to the World Wide Web come into your home, you're making a mistake. I just cleaned up a lot of things I was thinking. You're making a mistake. A huge mistake. Oh, my kids would never do that. Famous final words. And listen, your kids don't have to go looking for it. I'll promise you the God of this world is seeking a way to get it to them. You better find a way to stop it. And if you can't find a way to stop it, look, here's, here's a great device if I can get it out of my pocket. Don't take it to the courthouse. I tried this week. It won't work. Go out there and, and take that cable and cut it. without the internet. Oh, we did for a long time, really well. Before Al Gore invented it, we, we all survived without it. It's destructive. I'm, i got to move on. So, so they're facing these things, and it's coming at them at a very young age. They say that a, a child's first exposure to pornography due to the internet is five years of age. You know, we, we took the gun away from Yosemite Sam in cartoons, but we're still playing Grand Theft Auto. This makes sense if you don't think about it. What, what our kids are exposed to leads to them doing things that are unchildlike. And it's destructive. And, and, and Jesus said... In Matthew 24, when he was talking about the, the days of the end, he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He said, if you want to know what it's going to look like at the end, go back and look at what it looked like at the beginning. Go back to Genesis 6, where he talks about the times of Noah and that the, the, that, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that the, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you think we're living in the time that Jesus spoke of? Do you think we're living in the times of the end as it was in the days of Noah? Are we living in a time when the wickedness of man is great and the imagination of his heart is only evil continually? I, I think so. Verse 11 says, The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. We should recognize, we should identify with the fact that the culture, the system is corrupt. It's evil. And our children need to understand that. And we need to understand that. And certainly we should protect them from that. But, but it, it can't stop there because it's not only the depraved culture that's around them, it's the depraved culture that's within them. Because they come into this world with a depraved nature. The, those precious, innocent gifts from God, these beautiful, naive children are born into the world, separated from God. And that's the reason that the goal of just keeping them separate from the world system is not enough. Because they have all of the evil that's within the world within them. I know. That doesn't sound right. Can I tell you why it doesn't sound right? Because we think like this world. <laughs> Not like God's word says. We've allowed ourselves to begin to be people who experience the world and think like the world and we're held captive. And so when truth comes, we reject it. We stiff arm it. I don't want to hear that. I don't like that. That doesn't change the fact that it's truth. Truth is a stubborn thing. It doesn't argue. It doesn't debate. It's just there. It's just truth. And here's the source of all truth. It's the source of all truth. And I, I know, I know, we, don't, we, we struggle with that. 
But again, nonetheless, it's the truth. Solomon said, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And, and he's not talking about tomfoolery, you know, those, those foolish little kids. They just do silly things. Those, they're just so cute. And they are. They are cute. That's not what, what Solomon's talking about, though. Solomon's talking about the kind of foolishness that the psalmist spoke of in, in Psalm 53. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. That's the kind of foolishness that our children are born into this world with. The kind of foolishness that says there is no God. In fact, I'm God. And I'm going to live for me. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to be in charge. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'll be my own source of truth. And, and my right is my right. And your right is your right. And my wrong's my wrong. And your right's your, or your wrong's your wrong. And, and there is no absolute truth. And, and I can just kind of go through this world doing what I want to do. That's the kind of foolishness that's bound in the heart of a child. Now, the, 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 Solomon goes on to say, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Yeah. And need I say again, we reject that. But nonetheless, it's still the truth. And, and why is that so? He's not talking about abusing children. He's not talking about beating anybody. God would never be in favor of that. You, you can't separate one truth of the Scriptures from any other truth in the Scriptures. You've got to take it all together. God is not for the abuse of children. God is for the correction, the admonition of children, so that they understand that they aren't God, but there is a God. He's in heaven. And He is the authority. The psalmist says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. The poison, uh, their poison is, is like the poison of a serpent, and they are like the death adder that stoppeth her ear. Psalm 51, David said, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The point is this. Our children are born in this world, separated from God, and, and, and within them is, is this desire to, to do their own thing, to go their own way. It's what Psalm 53, Isaiah, when he's prophesying the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the need, that, that he, the, the need for him to be sacrificed is, is because we have all turned everyone to his own way. That's the nature of man. That's what we do. We, we go our own way. We want to do our own thing. We want to be God. We want to be in control. That's what's happening within our children. And so they grow up in this world system that's depraved, and the depravity that's within them is like a magnet drawing them to that depraved world. Yeah, you ever wonder why it's so easy for, for them to go the wrong way, not the right way? You ever wonder? I, I used to be a youth pastor... And I would, I would always be amazed at a gathering of students when a, a new student would come into the group. It, it, it seemed as if, like a magnet, they were drawn to the group of kids that you'd think, that's probably not the best group of kids to connect to. It, it seemed to always happen. Why are kids drawn to a world system that's so depraved? Because they have a depraved nature. And there's no correction for that except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That makes parenting hard. The depraved culture, the depraved nature, that, that, that's the two challenges that make it difficult. Let me give you quickly the two commands that, that make it simple. Again, not easy, but simple. I, I think oftentimes what happens to us as, as parents, as families, as a church, we, we have a tendency, as Paul said to the church at Corinth, to, to leave the simplicity that is in Christ. And, and we make it more complex than it ought to be. And God gives us some very simple approaches. Uh, and, and, and there's two, two commands. One of them's negative and one of them's positive. And the, the negative one is this. Provoke not your children to wrath. We saw that a moment ago in Colossians chapter 3. Provoke not your children to anger. And Ephesians says provoke them not to wrath. So, so fathers and, and specifically and parents in general, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't provoke them to anger. He goes on to say, lest they be discouraged. And so, as a parent, I, I want to avoid this provocation with my children. Because it's going to ultimately lead to one of two things. Wrath or discouragement. 
having done a fair amount of counseling over the last 25 years, I've met a lot of people who were driven by their relationship with their father. He had provoked them. And and they had come to the conclusion that my father is never going to be satisfied with me. But if it kills me, I'm going to make him proud of me. And while it might not kill him, it's going to kill a lot of people around him. Because whatever it takes to be successful in dad's eyes, I'm going to go do it. I'll run over anybody I have to to get there. Maybe, maybe some of you watched Last Dance, the, the series. I think I'm saying that right. Is it Last Dance? None of you want to admit watching it. I know. I'm, I'm telling you not to watch that stuff, and then I'm telling you I watched it. I'm sorry. Michael Jordan, talking about his career. And in, in one of those segments, he talks about his father and how that he could never appease his father. And that's what drove him to be the talent that he was. Now, for every Michael Jordan who was driven to that kind of success, and, and all, again, success being a relative term, you, you might notice other things in that as you watched that that would lead you to believe that Michael Jordan wasn't quite such a success in life as he was in basketball. He wouldn't need that bottle sitting beside him as he does this interview if he was a success in life. It's destructive. I served on the board of a homeless shelter in Cartersville, Georgia and and interacted with a lot of homeless people. And, And many of them had the same kind of dad. The same kind of dad that Michael Jordan had. And yet they lived in homelessness. And you see, they, they had been provoked by their father, but it didn't drive them, it discouraged them. It didn't lead them to wrath, it led them to discouragement, and they gave up. They just said, forget it, what's the point in even trying, I'll never satisfy him. Uh, you might think this isn't powerful, this doesn't matter. It's incredibly powerful, and it matters a lot. Your relationship, our relationship with our kids it's so critical, and so, uh, so we don't provoke them. And, and so real quickly, I want to give you, uh, this is something I came across years ago that I think is very helpful. Ten ways that, that we exasperate our children. Ten ways that we provoke our children. And so they're going to be on the screen, and I'm just going to walk through them. There's ten of them. Uh, we, we can get them to you later, or you'll, you, you can get them off the screen, whatever you want. Uh, but, but obviously, physical abuse. Uh, if we... <laughs> what, I think it's healthy to ask ourselves when we discipline our children, when we correct our children, when we admonish our children, are we seeking to, to discipline them uh, or are we seeking to punish them? Are we seeking to correct their behavior or, or is punishment our goal? Is it vengeance that we're looking for? We're looking to get even with them for disobeying us? If, if that's the case, hear me today, we're provoking our children. We're provoking them. Uh, the, the second one, uh, I... We, we provoke them through psychological abuse. So, are we, are we careful to preserve our children's dignity? I mean, are we, are, or do we embarrass them and humiliate them? I'm not talking about embarrassing them because, you know, we're mom and dad, and sometimes mom and dad, you know, when your kids are preteen and early teens, they just look at you as being embarrassing. But I'm talking about saying things to them, saying things about them that embarrass them or humiliate them. That's psychological abuse. Yeah. Do, do we treat them like that? Do we exasperate them through neglect? Do we spend an appropriate amount of time with each of our children? Uh, enough time with them to, to help them to know that we love them and that we care for them, seeking to communicate with them and be sensitive to them in, in every area of their lives? Do we exasperate them by failing to understand? Do we listen to their heart? Do we see things from their perspective or only from our own perspective? Do we value their opinion? And who they are. Exasperation through unrealistic performance standards. Is our expectation of our child's performance too high? Uh, through, through whatever it may be, scholastic, you know, athletically, uh, artistically, whatever the, the case may be, whatever well, we're, we're interested in. You know, a lot of times we want to live vicariously through our children. And 
you know, and, uh, and, and everything gets more glorious as the further we get away from it, right? Uh, and we, are we expecting something from them that's too high? Exasperation through unrealistic attitude of, of behavioral expectancy. So do, do we recognize that our children are children? And you know what? You know what children do? Children behave like children. You know? And we should realize that. Uh, that doesn't mis- mean we dismiss. I, I, years ago, when, when I, before our children were born, uh, reading and, and listening, one of the, it's, it's a simple thing, but I, I remember reading one of James Dobson's books. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but he talked about you don't discipline a child for spilling the milk, you discipline them for rebellion. Children are going to do childish things. You, you correct rebellion. Uh, exasperation through hypocrisy. Let's don't hold them to a standard we're not living to ourselves. Exasperation through forced acceptance of parental goals and, and values. Do, do our kids feel like we're, we're bringing them along on an exciting journey or do they feel like they're in this rigid system that they've got to adhere to? Uh, exasperation through overreaction to mistakes. Again, recognizing that our children are children. Encouraging them to admit their mistakes. Looking for opportunities to learn. Or do we use those ex- as excuses to berate them? Exasperation through unacknowledged parental mistakes. You ever tell your kids you're sorry? Ever identify your mistakes, recognizing that we all fail, we all mess up, and sometimes we mess up in our relationship with our kids. I need to be willing to say I'm sorry. I blew that. I was wrong. The way I talked to you was wrong. The things I said to you was wrong. The way I treated you was wrong. The negative command is don't provoke them. As parents, don't provoke your children to wrath, or to to discouragement. The positive command, very simply, is to bring them up. It's in the Ephesians 4 text. To bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And just three very, very simple things. Simple parts. He says bring them up. I think it's important that we recognize it's not just grow up. They're going to grow up. That's going to happen. What he says to us as parents is we're to bring them up. God has a destination. He has a planned destination for their life. And our responsibility as parents is to bring them up, to bring them to that destination. I think if we look at the culture that's around them and the culture within them, we would all acknowledge that they're headed down. They're going in the wrong direction. They're headed downward. And our responsibility as parents is to bring them upward, to bring them up, to bring them to Christ. Not not just to church. You ought to bring them to church. And, And let me just say, as a parent, you ought to bring them to church, not send them to church. Let me say specifically to fathers, you ought to bring them to church. It's amazing to me. Men who think they can send their, church, their kids to church with their mothers and then someday, somehow, they're going to keep going when they get a chance to choose. But that's not going to happen. Bring them to church, but more importantly to Christ. They're not going to get there on their own. They need someone to bring them there. So bring them up. Bring them up in the nurture so, so provide for them what they need for growth and development. And, and certainly that's physically and intellectually and, and emotionally, but that's also true spiritually. We're to bring them up, we're to bring them up in the nurture of the Lord. So we're to love them and nurture them and care for them like the Lord loves and nurtures and cares for us. That's, that's our responsibility. That's our opportunity. That's our privilege to be able to to play that role in their lives. God has entrusted to us this never-dying soul. He's made us stewards of them. I've told you many times before, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, 
There'll be no one that I'm more responsible for than Drew and Lauren. And no one will be more responsible for Drew and Lauren than me. I'm going to be responsible for a lot of people, but I'm ultimately and, and most importantly going to be responsible for those two. Those never dying souls that God entrusted to me. He's going to want to know, what did you do with what I gave you? Specifically about those two children. It's my responsibility to bring them up in the nurture of the Lord. Paul talks about this to the church at Thessalonica, and he's, he's talking about his ministry among them. But uh, when, he, when he talks about his ministry, he says that he was gentle among them. It's, it's the ideal of a, a nursing mother. He goes on to say, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. He's talking about this relationship, so being affectionately desirous of you. The, the love that, that we have, we're willing to impart into you, not the gospel of God only, but our own souls, because you were dear unto us. That's the description of, of a mother with her children. The, the kind of love that we are to have, the nurturing relationship. They're so dear to us. We're not just going to give you the, the gospel only, but we're going to give you ourselves, your, our own souls, everything that we are, the deepest recesses of my being. I'm going to give to you. That's how important you are to me. He comes a little later and talks about a father. He says, you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does to his children. Just, just being there and, and exhorting and, and encouraging and, and comforting and, and charging. There's, there's all of those elements. It's not just the charge. It's not just this is what you need to do. We'll talk about admonishing in a moment. But, but he says that a, that a father exhorts and comforts his children. Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Admonition to admonish them is to, to teach them to obey. Again, it's, it's so important that they learn obedience. Hebrews chapter 5 says that Jesus Christ himself learned obedience. If the Son of God come in a human body, learned obedience... It's safe to say our kids need to learn too. Amen? Amen? It's true. They do. And the problem with when that doesn't happen, when, if they never learn to say yes to us as parents, they'll never learn to say no to themselves. And they'll end up being driven by their passions. And they'll end up living a life that's centered on them. And that leads to nowhere good. They're not going to have any other relationships in their life that are healthy if their whole world is centered on them. And they're ultimately not going to have a meaningful relationship with God. Because they're seated on the throne. He's not. They're never going to learn to love and serve God or people if the whole universe revolves around them. It is the most important thing you'll do in life is bring those children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There are many people, many people in ministry who sacrificed their family for what they deemed the greater good. I vehemently disagree. There is no greater good They'd be who God called you to be as a mom, as a dad, bringing up your family in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I want to answer the call of God on my life. I intend to answer the call of God on my life. I just know that God called me first to be a husband to Debbie and a dad to Drew and Lauren. 
That's the highest calling in my life. Not being a pastor, not being a preacher, or any other role that might come in the local church. It's the role I have in my home. And I would suggest that that's true of you too. And if we would take care of business at home, well, the issues in the school would be taken care of. The issues in the law enforcement would be taken care of. The issues in society would be, would be dealt with if we would do what we ought to do at home. Well, let it be said of us that we did. It's a tough job. It's a big challenge because the culture's depraved and their nature's depraved. But God kept it very simple. I just need to bring them up. I need to nurture them like God nurtures me. I need to admonish them like God admonishes me. I just need to follow his model in my life. Really what I need to do is just die to myself, surrender to his lordship, put off the old man, put on the new man, which is renewed after the knowledge of him that created him, and let him parent my children. And he'll do an excellent job. Amen? It's not about trying harder. It's about dying to ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're grateful today for the privilege that it is to, to be called mom, to be called dad, to have this relationship with, with our children. Father, I thank you for allowing us that, affording us that. And Father, we, we confess today that there's some very incredible challenges that we face in the world around us and the world within our, our kids, but you've, you've taken something that, that could be so complex and you've made it very simple, and, and I think that makes it very important that we listen. I think that, that helps us to understand how critical it is that we adhere to these simple principles. And Father, regardless of, of where we're at in life today, some of us grandparents and, and are helping our children to, to raise their children, Father, may we continue to parent our children to help them to understand these concepts. Some of us uh, as parents of, of young adults who, who maybe still are struggling with some issues that, that we missed as they were growing up. Help us, Father, to rectify and, and to continue to minister and care for our children. Father, some that are in the, the, the midst of, of raising children, Father, I, I pray, God, today you'd help us to, to follow the simplicity of your plan. Father, for, for some who, who yet haven't reached that stage of life, Father, I pray you'd help them to burn the, the words of God in their heart and their mind that they might be the parents you've called them to be. Lord, we need you today. Our, our culture, our society, everything around us needs you. And you've left us here to be that manifestation, to, to propagate the message of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. May we be good stewards of that. May we communicate that message first and foremost within our homes to our children, our grandchildren, our families. And Father, may we take it out beyond that to those around us. And just, as we do that, we pray for your blessings, your hand upon us to use us to accomplish that good. We pray in Christ's name. Would you stand with me, please, as you stand to your feet? We're going to sing this morning. As we sing this morning, if God's spoken to you, if you, maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never come to know Him. You don't know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. There's some folks going to be along the front here if you need some help. If that's something that you're dealing with today, we'd love to help you. You'll come, they'll meet you, they'll help you. Maybe you're a parent, you need help today, just God's help today. Maybe a grandparent, you need God's help today. We invite you to come. Let God do in your life what he wants to do today. We're going to begin to sing as we begin to sing. If God's spoken to you, you come. We want to help you.
live in a messed up world. I don't need to tell you that, I know. But we can make a difference. But it starts at home. Let me back up one. It starts with me. I got to let God change me. And then I got to let God change my family. And then I got to let God change those around me. You, you can get overwhelmed looking at the, the mess that we are in. Let's get off looking way out there and come back home. And deal with the issues within our own lives and with the lives of our families and with our children and our realm of influence. I'm not suggesting we don't take the opportunities God gives us outside of that, but let's emphasize our home. What's going on around us? It is true that if we would deal with our families, that'll do more to correct the issues in society than anything else that we're capable of doing. Raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord so that they become adults who raise children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It'll impact the world for God's glory. You may say, I, I'm not sure exactly how to do that. Well, again, it starts with changing you, letting God change you. And the way you let God change you is, is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, if you do know him as, a, as your savior, then you grow in that relationship with him, right? The way we do that around here is through personal discipleship. And we would love to help you, connect you with somebody one-on-one -on -one who would sit down and study the Bible with you. The gateway into that is a class we call Cost of Discipleship. And that card on the back of the pew in front of you, the chair in front of you, you can just mark off on there that you would like to be a part of Cost of Discipleship with your name and contact info, bring it by the VIP area today, and, and we'll get you connected uh, with a, a Cost of Discipleship class so you can understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and make an intelligent decision about that. So we would love to help you with that, encourage you to do that uh, this morning. Uh, it is a, a great step in the right direction uh, toward being all that God would have us to be. I want to encourage you tonight to come and help us celebrate America. Uh, we're going to have a, uh, a Celebrate America picnic tonight at 6 o'clock out at the pavilion. Uh, and so we're going to have some food trucks out there. We've got a couple of bands that are going to come and play for us tonight. Uh, you'll see the stage set up out there. We'll be on the top side of the pavilion. I call it the top side. I don't know, the Modus Road side of the pavilion. Uh, so the stage is set up out there. A couple of bands will be playing. There'll be several food trucks out there tonight. Or you can bring your own food if you're more comfortable with that, certainly. Uh, you can also come and just stay in your car if you want. We're going to be broadcasting with the FM radio. It's uh, 95.7, I think. You'll see the signs as you go out. I think there's still some signs out front, 95.7. Uh, and uh, you can send your car and, and listen to the bands and uh, participate that way. At about 8.45 or 9 o'clock, we're going to set off some fireworks out there. Uh, so we've got a lot of fireworks. If you were here last year, you know that uh, uh, we, we know how to blow things up pretty well. Uh, so uh, we're going to blow up some things uh, at about 8.45 or 9 tonight out here. So I encourage you to come back and fellowship with us. Be here and be a part of that tonight. Uh, it'll be a great time of fun and fellowship together. If you ordered a Trash Pandas tickets, of course, that season's been canceled. Uh, but if you, we, we ordered T-shirts with that, and so those T-shirts are in the foyer. So if you ordered tickets, paid for tickets to Trash Pandas, you get a T-shirt with that. It's a DBC T-shirt, not a Trash Pandas T-shirt. Uh, go by out there and pick it up. There's tables in the foyer where you can pick those up. One more thing I want to mention to you. This Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, House of Prayer. We meet every Wednesday night and we pray. Uh, we're going to do some special things through the month of July and different things going on. We're going to meet here this Wednesday night. And it's going to be Missionary Champion Night. So if you're championing one of our missionaries, uh, what we're going to do is specifically pray over the needs of that missionary. And so this week before you come, kind of make sure you know who you're championing with. And so we're going to try to get those champions together. Uh, and let you pray over the needs of your missionary. Of course, we'll be praying over other things uh, as a group, as a whole. Uh, but that'll be this Wednesday night. Uh, the next Wednesday night, we're going to meet down at the, uh, the uh, amphitheater downtown. But we'll tell you about those in coming days. But uh, this Wednesday night, I encourage you to be here. We're going to pray for our missionaries and encourage you to be here and be a part of that on Wednesday night. Okay? It's great to see you today. Thanks for worshiping with us, either here in the house or 
via live stream. We're grateful to have you with us this morning. We're going to close out with a song and uh, give you the opportunity to kind of go out in a social distance way. Uh, I encourage you to do that and be social distanced and uh, take care of those things. I'm grateful to the Lord. We, we have a few folks. Uh, I told you last week we've had four people in church that have been diagnosed. Uh, two of them, three of them, uh, are either recovered or in the process of recovering at home. We do have one still in the hospital. So continue to pray for them. Uh, we talked about a staff member that had been tested. Those tests came back negative. Uh, and so uh, thank the Lord for that as well. Uh, but continue to pray for our community and continue to, to just be light and salt uh, in a world that desperately needs to know Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock, out at the pavilion.